Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Six Miles High by Malibu Sunset on AO3. Rating Teen and Up. Chapter One. He folds the sections of newspaper together neatly and tosses them onto the empty vinyl chair next to him with a disgruntled huff. Since when did the editorial start reading like excerpts from the National Enquirer? He'd heard that the Times had taken on a new editor-in-chief, but the name was unfamiliar to him, which was unusual. He made a point of staying well-connected, although he'd made a substantial career within broadcast journalism and never hurt to keep your options open. There was a time several years ago when getting out of D.C. had been an attractive thought, but then he'd met Victoria and career mobility had taken a backseat to his personal life for a time. Single once again since last summer, maybe it's time to reconsider a change of scenery. He sighs and shifts in his seat to look out the rain-streaked airport windows. If you can overlook the shitty weather, Seattle isn't a bad place. A buddy of his from college settled here. They don't keep in touch, but he could look him up. The United sign at the airport kiosk tells him that he still has about 40 minutes until his flight boards. A woman hauling two toddlers in a stroller struggles into the seats next to him, and she apologizes profusely when one of the little ones steps all over his outstretched wingtips. Ethan smiles and picks up his discarded newspaper to make more room for her. It looks like you've got your hands full, he says, catching the edge of the stroller with one hand before it rolls into the aisle. Two toe-headed boys in matching denim overalls pout in tandem, and the mother rummages through a shoulder bag until she comes up with a small plastic container of animal crackers. The boys quiet and stuff their cheeks between sniffles. Are you on United 287 to Washington, she asks. I am. The cracker crunchers who are squeezed side by side into the adjacent seat eye him cautiously, and he tries to look non-menacing. It's not delayed, is it? The woman tugs her hair out of the ponytail and snaps the black elastic band onto her wrist like a bracelet. If I have to kill any more time in this airport, I'm going to start taking hostages. Better not say that out loud, he chides. They're likely to start searching your diaper bag for a bomb. She laughs. I know, right? I think they already searched everything I own. Try going through security with two 18-month-olds, a purse, two bags, and a stroller. Zachary, stop poking your brother. Ethan gathers his briefcase from the floor and stuffs the paper into the side, then grabs his overcoat. You look like you could use an extra chair, and I could use a coffee, he says, getting up. Can I get you anything? No, thanks, she answers gratefully, unless they sell Valium. Probably not, he chuckles. But I hear United Flights come with an excellent selection of adult beverages. She points a finger at him. Good point. With any luck, they'll sleep through half the flight. They don't look very sleepy to Ethan, but aside from his sister's kids, who he only sees on major holidays, he doesn't have much experience with children. Not that he doesn't like them or want them. He does. In fact, that had been one of the deal breakers with Victoria. It took them two years to figure out that they were never going to agree on the issue. She moved to New York eight months ago and left him with a lease on an overpriced condo and the cat he gave her for her birthday. He should have known she'd probably never come around to the idea of kids when she didn't even like the cat. 
if I don't see you on the flight, good luck, he says sympathetically. Thanks, she smiles. Enjoy your coffee. He stops in the magazine shop first, buys a pack of gum and a Kit Kat, then heads further down the concourse towards the Starbucks. He's standing three people back from a woman in a black pantsuit who catches his eye. There's a familiarity in her fluid, compact movements. It started happening to him again finally, noticing women with more than a passing interest. It was two days after Victoria moved out before he bothered to shave and go to work, a month before he'd go out with his friends again. One night, he got really drunk and took a girl home with him. Her name was Felicia, and she was only 23. But beyond that, the details were sketchy. He felt like an ass for not returning her calls, but it had been a mistake. He was 13 years older than she was. It'd been a long time since he'd used a woman for sex, and it didn't feel any better. His buddies at work joked about fixing him up. He hadn't taken them up on it yet, but he was becoming less opposed to the idea. He'd even considered asking his neighbor out. She was divorced and cute, an anthropology professor. She fed his cat for him when he traveled, and she had a nice smile. The woman in the black pantsuit turns, sorting through her purse for a wallet, and he watches her, studying her profile before swallowing thickly. It couldn't be. When she tucks a stray lock of hair redder than he remembers behind her ear, he's 98% certain. Holy shit. His eyes follow her as she purchases her coffee and then drags her carry-on over to a high-top table so she can make a call. She stands with her weight on one hip and a blazer draped over her arm. The coffee shop is noisy, and he's too far away from her to hear her voice. But she's shaking her head and talking earnestly. Suddenly her face softens, and she lowers her eyes to the table and smiles, and any remaining doubt he had melts away like an early morning frost. It's her. He'd know those arresting blue eyes anywhere. And that mouth. He was kissing her in the shower, with his hands sliding up and down her soaked-up, slippery bottom as the water went from hot to warm. They'd been at this for a while, and they were both going to be late if she didn't say yes soon or tell him to get his hands off her and go get dressed. We've got time, he mumbled, to her nipple before fitting his mouth over it. Her head tilted back and her fingers combed through his wet hair. No, we don't. His knee nudged her thighs apart. Ethan. Her voice was as silky as her overheated pink skin. I've got 45 minutes. If there's traffic on the beltway, I'm screwed. He groaned and gave up her breast, planting a resigned peck just below her ear. Well, at least somebody is. Her mouth dropped open, and she pinched him. Tonight, he said, kissing her on the lips twice before stepping out of the shower and grabbing a towel. I'm going to hold you to it. I sure hope so, she purred, and he almost got back in. Sir, sir, can I help you? Someone taps his elbow, and he realizes that the girl at the counter is talking to him. Uh, yeah, I'll have a venti latte. He stands at the end of the counter and waits for his drink, unable to take his eyes off her. God, she looks different. She was always naturally pretty, but not like this. Now? She looks polished, sophisticated. Damn, she got really, really hot. He doesn't remember her wearing lipstick that shade. He watches her plump lips part as she nods and transfers her cell phone to her left hand so she can write something down. 
Her gold cross rests the hollow of her neck, catching the light. She wears a snug, fitting, crisp white blouse that's unbuttoned to the point of distraction, and a well-tailored pair of black pants that he fears probably look even better from the back. He used to have a very serious thing for her ass. She pivots 45 degrees and bends to tuck a piece of paper into her carry-on bag, and he almost misses his mouth with the latte. Jesus Christ. Good to know some things haven't changed. Her call ends and she gathers her things, shifting her purse onto her shoulder and pulling her bag behind her as she merges into the concourse traffic. He follows, tripping over someone's Reebok and apologizing while trying not to lose sight of her. Her height makes her hard to tail. He weaves like a drunk, avoiding suits, hurried flight attendants, and small children on leashes, following the flash of bobbing red. She's gotten a colorist, a very talented tailor, and some skyscraper heels. The permanent question is, what the hell is she doing in Seattle? It occurs to him right at about the moment they happen upon the waiting area for United 287. She slows her gait, checks her watch, and approaches the check-in counter. And he comes to the vibrant realization that he's going to be sharing a five-hour flight to Washington with her. Of all the possibilities for this rainy Tuesday in April, crossing paths with his ex-girlfriend after seven years, 3,000 miles from home, is about the last thing he expected. Life just might surprise him yet. Several minutes later, she pulls away from the counter with her boarding pass in hand and finds a seat near the windows, tucking her carry-on bag neatly out of the way, crossing her legs as she pulls a magazine from her bag and takes frequent sips from the paper coffee cup as she flips pages methodically. With casual strides, he approaches the empty seat next to her until he's standing no more than two feet away. Excuse me, miss, is this seat taken? Her eyes dart up as far as his kneecaps for a split second, then back down again. No, I don't think so, she replies, with a cordial smile, shifting her legs over some. He stands in front of her awkwardly for a bit before she bothers to look up at him. Her eyes widen and she lowers her magazine. Ethan, she says in astonishment. Hello, Dana. Oh my God. She stands, smoothing the front of her blouse. I I don't believe this. They stand looking at one another and smiling while she absorbs the situation. He's a little ahead of her in that regard. Wow, Ethan, she says again. They embrace stiffly, both still holding their Starbucks cups, and he manages not to spill anything on her white blouse. I thought it was you, he admits, while she's still shaking her head in disbelief. What are you doing in Seattle, she asks. I've been here since Friday for a journalism conference. You? I, we're working a case. Her left hand comes up to tuck some loose hair behind her ear, and he can't help himself. He checks her third finger. By yourself? My partner flew back yesterday, she replies, crossing her arms and tilting her foot back nervously onto the heel of her shoe. There's a thick silence for several more seconds while they stand there, smiling politely and sizing each other up. Her skin is flawless, like porcelain. Yes, she definitely looks even more amazing than he remembers. Seven years. God, she's doing something right. He's suddenly acutely aware that his eyes are crawling over her face like a hovercraft. You look, uh, really great, he ventures, finally, a puff of air leaving his lungs. So do you, she agrees. 
The last time she saw him, he was almost 30 years old. He doesn't think he looks much different, but he could be deluding himself. He's in better physical shape anyway, even if his hairline is receding some. I like a... He casually gestures to her shorter, sleeker hair. It looks good on you. A blush darkens on her cheekbones, a feature of hers he'd always found endearing and girlish. Thanks, she says softly. Yet another silence that he interrupts with the clearing of his throat. So you're, uh, heading back to Washington then? It looks like we're on the same flight. She nods. This is so strange. To run into you here, of all places. I know. He laughs, his head bobbing a little too emphatically. We're right in the same city for seven years and... and nothing. Then I fly all the way across the country and... here you are. She gestures politely to the seat next to her, collecting her tossed-aside magazine. Do you want to sit down? He does. They do. He can't figure out where to pose coffee, so he holds it, grateful to have something to do with his hands. Hey, listen, he interjects abruptly. I was sorry to hear about your dad. Stupid, 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 stupid. Nice conversation starter, you idiot. Thanks, she replies. I got your card. I'm sorry, I probably should have called, but... No, I didn't mean it that way. I didn't expect you to call. I mean, it was right after, uh... Yeah, you know. We broke up. He doesn't have to finish. He's deliberating possible segues, something that doesn't involve a death in the family or her marital status. He hopes to get to that, but they're still at small talk. When the boarding announcement is made for first class, neither of them move, but he feels a sense of urgency all of a sudden. They're going to get on that plane, and then they're going to get off again in five hours, and that will be it. He digs his boarding pass from the back of his pantsuit pockets and checks it. 20D, he says to her, and then glances down at hers inadvertently. It's bookmarked inside her magazine, and he'd trade his new Audi to have it say 20E. She pulls it and brows raise a little. Um, 21A, it looks like. He smiles at Lady Luck, who is apparently smiling back at him. Are you sure you weren't following me, he teases. Her mouth quirks a little. Well, I am a trained investigator. They chat while he's searching for his seatbelt and settling into his aisle seat. He keeps twisting his head around to talk to her. So far, nobody has claimed the middle seat next to her window one, and he's keeping his fingers crossed. He gives the evil eye to anyone who makes it back to row 21 without finding their seat yet. Not their asshole. Don't even think about it. A slacker in a black hoodie slouches towards her row, his glassy eyes following between the row numbers and his boarding pass. Is this 23? He asks no one in particular. That's 21, says Ethan. He peeks at the ticket and then points helpfully. You're two back, in the other window seat. Cool, thanks. Don't mention it. His watch says they're already five minutes late for takeoff. She still has two open seats next to her. His row is full, and the guy next to him has claimed the armrest. So Ethan sits with his hands in his lap, bobbing his leg. Two minutes later, an older woman takes the aisle seat in Dana's row, pulls out her paperback, and tucks her quilted floral handbag under the seat in front of her. Ethan curses under his breath. He can't even give her angry looks because she reminds him of his nana. Damn. By the time they get to cruising altitude and the fastened seatbelt sign turns off, 
he begins to relax a little. Maybe when they get back to D.C., he'll suggest they get a cup of coffee together, or something. She seemed interested in catching up in the airport. He steals discreet glances back at her, but the only one noticing it is Granny, who smiles knowingly at him over the rim of her bifocals. He's just the guy trying to pick up the pretty woman sitting next to her. Dana has her tray table down and her laptop out. Every once in a while, she silently mouths words to herself as she types. Sometimes she captures her bottom lip in her teeth and allows it to slide back through. He wants to stare at her, but it's downright uncomfortable at this angle, and the old lady is starting to size up his stalking potential. So he faces forward with a sigh and closes his eyes. When he got back to the table, there was a second round of drinks waiting. Some girl sitting in his seat and another standing next to her. Ethan's buddy Dan was saying hello to his girlfriend, and it was the kind of hello that made everyone else around them feel uncomfortable. The three of us are going to visit the ladies' room and then grab some drinks, announced Heather, scooting down from Dan's lap and grabbing her clutch. The band came back from a break and launched into a cover of an Aerosmith song. Who was that? Ethan yelled across the table. Who? said Dan, flagging down a passing cocktail waitress and handing off their empty bottles. Heather's friend. What, the blonde? That's Carrie. You met her at the New Year's Eve party. No, the other one. The shorter one. Blue eyes. Dan shrugged. Some girl Heather went to med school with. Danielle, Donna. I haven't seen her around before, said Ethan casually. I don't think she goes out a lot. She's a doctor? The edges of Dan's mouth lift a little. I don't think so. I don't know. There's something with the FBI now. Why the Spanish Inquisition? Ethan drank again, leaning over to let some intoxicated people squeeze by. Just curious, that's all. She's cute. Dan turned his head to the side and stared out into the crowd, shaking his head and smiling. What? pushed Ethan with a laugh. Get me her number. I'm not going to get you her number, man. Why not? Just ask Heather for her number. Because you're not going to call her, that's why. And then Heather will be all over my case about why you didn't call her friend. I'm going to call her. No, you're not, chided Dan. Besides, she's too smart for you. She's like some genius or something. You're an asshole, said Ethan. Dan laughed. Noted. If you want her number so badly, get it yourself. Ethan nodded. Challenged. I will. At half past midnight, he bought her a drink and danced with her and they shouted small talk over the churn of the base. They made their way to the back of the club and hung out by the coat racks, where it was cooler. Right before last call, Heather found them, and said that Carrie wasn't feeling well, and she and Dan were going to take her home. Could Ethan give Dana a ride back to Georgetown? Because it was in the opposite direction. They stopped at an all-night convenience store and bought snacks, and then sat in his car talking until the sun came up. He got her number. When Ethan opens his eyes again, the paperback granny is missing, and he slides over to her seat. Hey, hey, she says with a side smile, finishing what she was reading before glancing his way. Good nap? It was until my neighbor decided that my shoulder was a nice substitute for a pillow. Unfortunately, he's not my type. He reaches into his shirt pocket and removes the Kit Kat bar. Split? She makes a pain face, but then nods. I've been eating garbage all week. I'm going to pay for it when I don't fit into my clothes. He tilts his chin down. You're kidding, right? I think you can afford it. 
Her cheeks color again, and he enjoys it. She always did have trouble accepting compliments. He breaks the candy bar into two halves and hands her one. She separates the attached sticks into two more pieces and nibbles at one. How long was I out for anyway? He asks, glancing at his Seiko. Not long. They still have three and a half hours to go. He turns his watch ahead to Eastern Standard Time. The seat's rightful occupant slides up next to him, and Ethan starts to stand, tossing her an apologetic smile. No, no, dear, says the elderly woman, with a hand on his shoulder. You can stay right there. Just pass me my purse and I'll take your seat. As long as I'm in the aisle, it doesn't matter to me. You sure? He asks, tugging her bag free from under the seat. That's kind of you. Thank you. Well, well. Ethan had always been ambiguous regarding the existence of a higher power, much to the deep disappointment of his recently born-again mother. But after today, he may have to reconsider his overall position on the power of prayer, because today simply can't be all luck. So, he says, when you got up this morning, I'll bet the thought never crossed your mind that you'd be stuck making conversation with me for three hours. She suppresses a smile and bites into her second Kit Kat stick. Likewise, I could say. At least I brought you chocolate. You didn't get that for me. It was already in your pocket. True, he admits, munching. But I shared it, and you know how I feel about chocolate. He offers to buy her a glass of wine, and she politely declines, referencing the chocolate and saying that she's used up all her sins for one day. He wonders if she's sending him a message about more than the chocolate, and he's inexplicably disappointed for the first time since he saw her. He thinks about shifting into the empty seat between them, but he isn't sure she'd welcome it, and he doesn't want to push his luck. She's warm and friendly and conversational, but he feels some kind of barrier there that could be indicative of more than just their shared history. He guesses she isn't married. She's always been pretty traditional at heart, and if she was, she'd wear a ring. Divorced? Possibly. So, what have you been up to these past years, he asks, besides air travel? She smiles and shifts her hips so she's facing him more. Her legs are crossed, and he can't help wishing she was wearing a skirt. But then again, he's having a hard enough time ignoring the gap between the buttons of her blouse. She's grown into her looks, trading girl-next-door pretty for a chicness that makes everything below his belt feel edgy and tight. Well, she replies, drawing a deep breath. Mom's still at the bureau, which you probably gathered. He nods. I see your name in the news once in a while. In his line of work, keeping up with the headlines is as necessary as breathing oxygen. He's known she's been in Washington all along, had even considered contacting her once or twice, but didn't. He was with Victoria for a couple of years, and there were others before that. No one's serious. Bygone being bygones, it seems best to keep moving forward. He can't really remember now what went wrong between them. Something about wanting different things and her commitment to her job. And he's pretty sure he was an asshole somewhere along the way, too. Ultimatums were made. He's grown up a lot, and he assumes she has, too. Which division, he asks. Mom's still with the X-Files. If he isn't imagining it, there's a hint of defensiveness in her answer. He's stupid to push her but he hasn't won journalism awards for taking things at face value. Really? I thought that was going to be a temporary assignment. Her reaction is an icy, tight smile. 
She stares out the window at the passing gray clouds. No, that's great, humans. If that's turned into something good for you, then that's great. Are you still partnered with that Mulder guy? Her eyes narrowed almost imperceptibly. You remember his name? Of course I do. He's not exactly a nobody. In fact, he's pretty well known in certain circles of the media. There are rumors that he knows things. She frowns. What things? He shrugs with a half-hearted huff. I never bothered to ask. That kind of thing doesn't interest me. But I'm sure it's the usual garbage. National conspiracies. Your garden variety imaginary government whitewash. Like I said, I never bothered to follow any of it. I figured you checked out of the X-Files years ago. Well, I didn't, she says curtly. She goes back to counting clouds. His boat is sinking quickly, and he has no idea when he sprung a leak. He decides to grab a bucket and start bailing. Hey, don't listen to me. Obviously, I don't know anything about him. All I remember is the Monty Props case, where he was made the media hero for months. Some say, even a decade later, that he's still the most brilliant mind in the Bureau. She seems to soften a little, risking eye contact with him again. He feels like he's being visually stripped down while she decides if he's worthy of the whole story. She blinks with a long, drawn-out sigh. It's complicated. The work we do, it's not what people assume it is. Over the years, it's become my crusade as much as Mulder's. So, I'm sorry if I sound defensive, but it's important to me. I'm committed to it, more than I ever thought I would be. She sighs again, as if she long ago grown weary of explaining herself to people like him. The things I've seen and experienced, Ethan... They've challenged everything I've ever known to be true. It's so hard to explain, but I just can't imagine being this passionate about any other job. I mean, maybe if I went back into full-time medicine, but... His eyes travel her profile, studying her carefully. He can't quite put his finger on it, but there's a shadow of something just below the surface that wasn't there seven years ago. It's an intensity, a certain depth a level of resilience and strength that comes from having first-hand experience with pain and loss. He's done and seen enough interviews with survivors to recognize it. She's been through hell and back. Their eyes met in a communicative look, and he searches for a way over the chasm dividing them. But he suspects it's even deeper than he can fathom. He questions her silently. What's happened to you? She holds his gaze but reveals little. She is closed to him like a morning glory in the dark of night. He used to hold her hand when she was upset and feel her soften to his touch. He hasn't been invited to do that now, and he isn't a presumptuous man. A transparency flashes in her eyes, only a heartbeat that is now enough to tell him that she knows he sees her now. The real her, all that has been shattered and put back together again. He isn't the one holding her hand anymore, but someone is. If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there.